Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Is the CDC going too slowly? Now, here, here is the deal. If we are going to encourage people to get vaccinated, you have to convince them, I think, that there there is a reason to do that and that getting vaccinated is the return to normal. I am a big believer in vaccinations. I, I'm not eligible yet. I'm not in that age bracket. I'm not in one of the essential workers categories, so I haven't had my shot yet. I'm signed up on lists. As soon as they lower the age limit a little bit, I, I will be having it. And I want to encourage people to get it because the closer we get to herd immunity, I think the, the better it is, even though I don't know that we're going to ever get to herd immunity because the reality is, I think, best case scenario, maybe you'll be able to convince six out of 10 people to get the shots, maybe. And as a result, COVID's going to be with us for a while. But as we always talk about on this program, the goal is to flatten the curve. It's not to eradicate the virus. You're never going to eradicate the virus. It's to make sure that the people who are most vulnerable statistically have a chance to protect themselves if they choose and to make sure that the hospitals are not overwhelmed. And by that perspective, we have clearly flattened the curve. The hospital systems across the country are not overwhelmed at this point in time. We've still got that uh, spare hospital facility at State Fair Park that's had one person. The last time a person was in there was, I, I believe, Christmas Eve. And so, but that that's fine. It, it's there. But you've got to be aware that there might be a surge or something. But the truth is, it seems like we we have, I think, rounded the corner on this. So anyhow, the CDC comes out with its instructions today. And this is the big question. This is what they say. If you are vaccinated, so you've gotten both of those shots, and here's what they say. The, these are the guidelines. You can start doing this about two weeks after your second shot. The CDC recommends that fully vaccinated people can visit with other fully vaccinated people in small gatherings indoors without wearing masks or physical distancing. So if everybody has the vaccination, all right, you're good to go in small groups. What does it mean if you have a friend or a family member and are both vaccinated? You can have dinner together wearing masks without distancing. You can visit your grandparents if you have been vaccinated and they have been too. All right, so, uh, oh, uh, but what is left open by all this is the fact that what happens with the people who have been vaccinated. So grandparents have been vaccinated, but the grandchildren haven't been vaccinated. Can they still interact? The grandparents or the parents have been vaccinated. Can they go out? Can they interact with other people? And so far, the CDC is saying as a general rule, you know, because apparently they still don't know or don't want to talk about what happens if you are vaccinated so you can't get it, but they still have no clue as to whether you could still be a carrier, which seems to me to be unlikely if, if you can't get it, but they're still not giving the all clear for people who have been vaccinated to go out and start living their lives normally. Our number is 855-616-1620. That is the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. At what point... Do we return to normal? And I think this is one of the fundamental questions, especially as more and more people are getting outside and more and more people are getting vaccinated. Once you have gotten your vaccination, CDC recommendations or not, do you feel that you're you're good to go? I mean, once you have been protected, once you can't get it anymore, do you feel that that's kind of the point where, hey, it's a green light for me to go back and start living my life normally? Now, if they want me to wear a mask in stores or something like that, I'll, I'll do it. But once you have your vaccination or if you have had your vaccination now, do you feel like you are protected and you're ready to go on and start getting back to normal? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I have to tell you, at, and as a matter of fact, I was having this conversation with a couple friends and colleagues over the course of the last couple of days. I think for most of us, once we get that second dose of vaccine, I think that that's the point where we start to say, Okay, now we start to feel comfortable going out unless there's strong evidence that suggests that somebody who has been vaccinated 
is actually likely to be a carrier and infect other people, unless there's evidence of that, I think people are going to start to say, okay, it's time to start getting back to normal. At what point do we get back to normal, in your opinion? 855-616-1620. And for people who have been vaccinated, I, I think that is the key. We discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. With more and more people getting vaccinated, now the CDC, the CDC has modified its guidelines, and they're saying, okay, well, if, if you've been vaccinated, and other people have been vaccinated. In small indoor gatherings, you can interact and you can mix with the people who have also been vaccinated in small gatherings, but there's all sorts of red flags. It's still, they're not saying that just because you've been vaccinated means that you can go out and have unlimited or unrestricted contact with people who haven't been. At what point do people simply say, hey, I've gotten the vaccine, which means that I am not likely to have bad results. I guess it's not a guarantee that you're not going to get it, but Look, if, if we're now going to say, hey, look, you know, the fact that COVID is going to be with us probably forever, you're going to have to, like, live with all this stuff forever. I just don't think that's acceptable. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, the CDC is a joke. They will never give the all clear. People are just going to make their own risk assessment and get back to normal on their own. Jeff, how long can you keep people living like this? My wife and I have been living normally the whole time, masks at least as possible, going out, having parties. If you can't live normal after the vaccine, why get it? I think the foolishness has to stop. Jeff, that's the point of the vaccine. It very likely takes a viral load much higher than what uh, vaccinated individuals could theoretically carry to transmit. That's how it is with vaccines. The CDC should know this. right? See, that's where I think the interesting thing is going to be moving forward, because I think the general attitude is going to be, all right, once I have been vaccinated, so I have that degree of protection, unless you can show me compelling evidence that I am likely to be a carrier, even though I can't get it, And I don't know that there's any evidence out there that really suggests that. I think most people are going to be willing to say, okay, we're willing to make this risk assessment. Um, Jeff, a craft show canceled for September. Yet Dr. Fauci says everyone should be able to get vaccinated by May. Enough already. If you're not vaccinated by July, then that's your choice. Enough of this. 855-616-1620. Jeff, people can carry the virus on their clothes and other items. Just because they cannot get the virus, they could pass it on. Doesn't mean they can't pass it along in other ways. The virus survives for days on surfaces. Okay, well, here's the concern. If that's the concern that is out there, then we're never going to be able to get to normal. Because I don't think, like I say, you're ever going to be able to eradicate COVID. So if it's like, well, even if you can't get it, even if you can't transmit it, it might be on surfaces. It might somehow get its way to your clothes and you might brush against somebody else. If that's the category and that's the case, you, we're we're never going to have any sense of normalcy again. And I just don't think people are going to tolerate that. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Ann in Grafton. Hi, Ann. Good afternoon. Um, I would just like to say that I I think we should trust the CDC to a certain extent. But last week, you stationed the station reported that Israel and Spain had been doing testing with individuals who had received both inoculations, and that there was no sign showing that they could pass it on to someone else. I think as a country, we need to look at findings from other places. We can't just put it all on ourselves. And I think eventually things will get to whatever normal is going to become in a similar fashion that it did to polio. And if you take polio as the example, it's still out there in the world, but people learned to live with it, decide whether they were going to get the vaccines or not. And fortunately, in most cases, they decided yes. And I think that we can learn some um, ideas and examples from that particular disease. Well, I th- thanks, Colleen. There's all sorts of indicators. To me, the, the the million dollar question is now: What is is there any realistic likelihood that someone who has been vaccinated 
is at risk of passing on the disease to other non-vaccinated people. See that that because that to me is is the key because not everybody's going to be able to va- get vaccinated right away. So the question really is, okay, if grandma and grandpa, you know, you're you're in your 70s or your 80s, you've now had both vaccination, you had both shots, that the timing has passed, so you have as much protection as you're going to be able to get. So now the question is, can you interact with your grandkids? And the, the only reason you wouldn't be able to interact with your grandkids would be if there's any sort of statistical evidence showing any sort of likelihood at all that even though you can't get it yourself, you might be able to pass it on to your grandchild. And that, and that of course, then ignores the issue about, you know, how likely are kids to get it? And how, what's the statistical numbers of any kid that might get it from their grandparents getting a, a bad reaction? I, I say this because I think we have to have an honest conversation about this because we want people to get vaccinated. But if we keep telling people, well, even after you get vaccinated, there's going to be all these restrictions on what it is that you're able to do. I think that's going to discourage people from wanting to get vaccinated. And I think in the real world, think more and more people, once they end up getting vaccinated and they've waited that two weeks, I think that's the point where they start being willing to say, look, I'm, I'm willing I am now willing to take these these various chances. I think I've done everything I can to protect myself and to protect others. The whole issue of wearing masks, well, I think that that's going to that's going to work itself out because at some point in time, the stores, I, I think the mask mandates are going to go away. You know, stores might still require people to wear masks. And if they do, you know, wear masks. If you're comfortable wearing masks, wear masks. But I think the big question now is, is there any reasonable likelihood that somebody who has been fully vaccinated is going to pass this on? And I don't think there's too much evidence right now suggesting that. I doubt that there's going to be, but time will tell. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, my wife and I are both vaccinated. We're comfortable with others in our circle that have also been vaccinated. We still wear a mask in public, say Walmart and grocery stores. And I think... For example, wearing that mask in public, I think it's it's less it's less because if you've been vaccinated that you're likely to somehow be an asymptomatic carrier. It's more likely that just it's what the rules are and it's the social convention and that's okay. Um, Jeff, uh, let's see, eight five five six one six. Jeff, once vaccinated, one needs to wait two or three weeks to build the immunity. Right, that's right. That's what they say. You got to wait a couple weeks after that second shot. Jeff, my mom and dad are both in their eighties and both are fully vaccinated. They finally feel comfortable enough to see me, even though I am not. Last week, I was able to hug them both and spend some time with them. I feel they are not alone with how they feel. Yeah, exactly. I think that. Once people get the vaccinations, and now we're starting to see that, that is kind of the tipping point, and people are ready to start getting back to normal because, I mean, look, I, do I understand that theoretically that somebody who's had the vaccine vaccine might get COVID? Yeah, nothing's perfect. You get the flu shot and you get the flu. I understand that. But at some point in time, you've got to make the statistical calculation of what is the likelihood now. Jeff, I would say we are cleared now if you've had your vaccine um, let's see. Um, and I think then there goes on, the text goes on to take a shot at Dr. Fauci. I, I think more and more, um, more and more uh, people, once you get the vaccine, you're going to go on. Now, here's a texter saying, get used to what's going on now, people. This is the new normal. All right. I don't know. Are we going to put up with wearing masks for the rest of our lives? And by the way, I've said this on the radio. I think one of the things that's going to come from the whole COVID discussion is I think that even after we're back to normal, whatever normal is going to be, my guess is there's going to be one out of four, maybe one out of five people who in public places decides to wear masks anyway. Just keep wearing masks. You know, you, you see the evidence that there, there's very, very few reported cases of the flu this year. And I think part of that is, I, I think, because of the people practicing the social distancing and the better hygiene and the wearing masks, I would not be surprised if a certain percentage of the population decides that they're going to wear masks from here on out. Now, I'm not in that percentage of the population. I'm going to get my shots. And once I get the vaccines and once they lift the mask mandates, I'm I'm going back to normal. But I do think you need to encourage people to get the vaccines. Jeff, I think vaccines should have a strong benefit. So guidelines should encourage people to have more freedom. Yet that's my point. If you want to if you say get the vaccines, but we're still you're going to still have to limit your behavior for 
you know, for months and months and months. I think some people say, well, what's the purpose of getting the vaccine? And that's the least message that you want to say. Jeff, the big turn will be seniors who are vaccinated and staying home for a year. My parents were ready to get back to normal travel after their first shot. Um, yeah. Jeff, what's your take on requiring people to be vaccinated to go to events? We're going to discuss that as a separate topic. If not today, maybe tomorrow. Jeff, do you really expect the CDC to say just go ahead and throw open everything without masks, without a step in between? No, I don't expect them to do that. I expect them, however, to recognize that you want to encourage people to get the shots. And unless there is evidence Strong empirical evidence suggesting that people who have been vaccinated are still likely to be carriers. And that's, to me, the the question. Unless there's any empirical evidence that says that once you've been vaccinated, you're still likely to transmit the disease. And my word is likely to transmit the disease. I think that that's the discussion that you have to have. And if the answer to that is no, well, at that point in time, then, yeah, I think you have to start opening things back up for the people who have been vaccinated. Otherwise, people are going to say, why bother with the vaccinations in the first place? Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This week's sponsor for the Jeff Wagner Home Improvement Showcase presented by Great Midwest Bank is the Home Market. Located in Milwaukee's historic Third Ward, the Home Market specializes in custom furniture and unique home accents, bedding, and lighting with a casual but elegant style. Shop them and find them at home at shophomemarket.com. Matter of fact, we've got my interview with Kate from the Home Market coming up in a little bit. She is a delightful person. All right. If I'm Russ Darrow Kia, I'm... I'm I'm kind of like shrugging my shoulders and saying, you know, what more can we do? If you haven't seen this, um, Kia, Kia automobiles are apparently they're they're one of the hot things to sell and to steal and then to subsequently try to resell. And in in Milwaukee, um, because we've done such a just a lousy job of trying to you know, curtail car thieves. It's kind of like open season. So here's the story. Thieves stole six vehicles and attempted to steal eight more at Wauwatosa's Rustero Kia after the initial thefts on the morning of February Wednesday, February 24th at the dealership on Mayfair Road. Thieves returned to the dealership and its overflow parking lot hours later and attempted to steal more vehicles. According to police, some of the attempted thefts involved removing the rear windows of the vehicle and stripping off the steering column. Then between the night of February 24th and the morning of the 25th, thieves attempted to steal more vehicles from the dealership's overflow parking lot across the street. Um, they've recovered the vehicles, I guess, but and many of them have been just, again, damaged. And they go through all these different things. The Kias are apparently very popular. Here's the bottom line of this. And, and I know it says the dealership is adding extra security and things, but it shouldn't be like that. I mean, look, I, I understand we can tell people don't leave your car running, don't leave your car unattended, put your car in the garage. but And, and that's all good advice. But we shouldn't have to do that. I mean, you know, we, we should be in a position where if you are a car dealer, for example, like Rustero, what you should, and there is a Rustero, by the way, he's a friend of mine. If you are a car dealer like Rustero, you, you shouldn't have to worry that, gee, we're going to put cars out on a lot and we're going to have all these punks come and try to steal them by, by the dozens. There should be consequences for people who try to do that. And unfortunately, in Milwaukee, there is no consequence for it, whether you're trying to steal a bunch of cars from a dealer's or whether you're stealing cars from people's driveways or garages or in front of their homes or off of parking lots at Mayfair or shopping centers or whatever, we do not treat car theft seriously. And it is a very, very big deal. And it's time for the court system and the prosecutors to wake up and recognize that this idea of just stealing cars en masse has got to stop, and the people that do it, whether they're juveniles or whether they're adults, they need to be held accountable. But, of course, in Milwaukee, you can shoot eight people in a shopping mall and still not really be held accountable because we treat you as a juvenile. So I'm not sure that there's much hope for that. But can't we do better? Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I have a rule on this program, and it's a rule I learned early on when I first started doing spoken word radio, and that was no matter how many other people might be talking about a story, if I don't care about it, 
I just don't talk about it because I have nothing really to add. It's just if I'm not interested in it, I'm just not going to fake it. And so I, 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 a couple people over the weekend were saying, are, are you going to you going to be watching the interview with Prince Harry and, and Meghan? Are you, you going to be watching that with, with Oprah and things like that? And I said, no. They said, well, but but everybody's going. It's, it's going to have millions of people that are going to be watching it. I said, that's wonderful for those millions of people that watch it. Well, you're going to talk about it on the program on Monday. And I said, well, I, I don't think so, other than perhaps to explain why I have no interest in this. And I, it's I, I story you, you pick up. I'm, I'm looking at the Washington Post and the New York Times, all the Chicago Tribune, all my different reference sources talking about this incendiary in, you know, interview and and how everybody's buzzing about it. And again, so, Gru, do you care about this at all? producing the show today always, i'm not a person that follows the royals or yeah, anything so i don't i don't care that I, much right, about it okay it. it's tough for me to feel too sympathetic to this this couple who's giving an inter she's wearing a five thousand dollar dress giving an interview from their 14.5 million dollar home in california it, it, you know talking about oh how terrible the royal family was and it's just I'm, i sort of look at this and go huh this is really the ultimate first world problem here and i I've, I've always thought the whole royalty thing was a bit odd because you i mean like take prince charles you essentially spend your entire life you are trained to be king which means you spend your entire life waiting for your mother to die <laughs> which is essentially that that's that's what this is and then because you know the queen it doesn't appear to be going anywhere anytime soon you know it looks like you're never going to be the chance to get it to do that in the case of like harry and megan um he's because he's second, you know, that you've got the older brother that's there. The older brother is at least in line to be the king. So you're never going to be the king. So what what is the purpose? You know, how do you find purpose in your life? And I don't know. Some people, you know, view this Meghan Markle as being the equivalent of Yoko Ono breaking up the Beatles. I, I don't know any of that. But it's just the the interworkings of um of the, of the palace and the intrigue and whether you see her as a sympathetic figure or well or not and i guess i think people are split it's like i look at this and say yeah, i'm i'm glad people watched it and if you spent 2 hours of your life watching it and you enjoyed it that that's great but um no we are not going to be discussing it on the show today cuz like i say my rule is if I don't care about something, we don't talk about it. And frankly, I just don't care about it. <laughs> it's just I, I, I don't. Now, here is something that I do find to be interesting because it, it's a story about perhaps overreaction to to rules. Here's the deal. If you haven't seen this, there's a California high school baseball team. And California has all these issues, of course, with with COVID. And they've had all these tight mask rules that have been in effect for about a year. And it, it hasn't stopped. The mask rules haven't stopped the spread of, of COVID in, in California, which I guess raises questions about, you know, it, it, do, do the masks really prevent it? But I'm, I'm not an anti-mask guy. But but here here's the deal. It's it's a high school baseball team. The seniors have a tradition of posing together for like a, a senior photo. And the photo is then like included in the yearbook and things like that. So what happens is in January, a couple of the moms get together and there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, there are eight seniors on this baseball team and, and they want to take the pictures. So th- this is on their own time. The moms get together, they bring the eight kids back and they go to, they go to the school and they pose the the eight kids who are wearing their baseball caps and they've got t-shirts on that say you know what the school is and the baseball team and they pose them well sitting in front of the school that the moms do this they pose them um a, a, up against a scoreboard okay so they take a bunch of of pictures now this is in january of these eight kids they take the pictures of them for their own use and then they post them on social media they, they go and apparently there's some there's there's a website or two that are devoted to the the high school baseball team so they post these on social media last january or which is now you know going on two months ago well what happens is last week somebody from the school sees these postings up there and you probably know where this story is going the kids aren't wearing masks and they're sitting next to each other, like like on on the bench. It's not like they're on each other's lap, but they're, they're sitting next to each other. They're smiling. They're not wearing masks. The mothers posed this. The mothers took these photos. The mothers ended up posting them. 
And so they post them. The school, which was unaware of this until somebody said, oh, have you seen this poster up there? The Burbank Unified School District saw the picture and decided to punish the players for violating safety protocols, that is, by sitting next to each other and not wearing masks. And so what they did is they suspended the entire varsity baseball team. Now, keep in mind, this was just the eight seniors. Their parents did this. The school suspended the entire varsity baseball team from organized practice or conditioning drills for a week. All eight seniors on the team who did what their parents told them to do were suspended for two weeks. The school board... uh, initially tried to cancel the entire varsity season as a result of the pictures, but ultimately decided, no, we're just going to live with this particular suspension. Um, the school says, well, look, we, we, we have these rules, and even though they did this on their own time, this was they were representing the team, so we have to come down on them hard. The parents are saying, well, wait a second, look, this is they were outside, This was on their own time. They did this at our instruction. The boys were just trying to make their moms happy. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, is it unreasonable for the school to decide that they're going to discipline these kids for doing what their parents had them do, posing for a picture sitting next to each other without wearing masks. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It seems to me the school should have bigger fish to fry, but we discuss. What do you think? This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, this is why I don't live in California. Well, okay, Bob, here's the thing. It, it's... This is right. This is California thinking, but this could be Madison thinking. This could just be the way you have some of these school districts react. If you're just tuning in, here, here's the deal: bunch of varsity baseball players. Their parents want a senior picture of them, so they get them together on their own time and they take a couple pictures. Now they do take them to school grounds, but it's a it's a public facility, so they're on their own time. They're standing on the steps to the school. They're standing in front of the scoreboard. They take a pictures of the pictures of the eight or nine kids and then post them up on the the parents social media pages and things like that school finds out about it about a month after the pictures were taken and decides they're almost ready to cancel the whole baseball season but they decide they're going to suspend the entire team the entire team even people who weren't involved in the pictures they're going to suspend the whole team for a week and the seniors are going to be off for two weeks and the parents are saying what did we do wrong i mean would the school I mean, where does the school think it has the jurisdiction to really restrict, you know, what it does and what the parents allow their children to do when they're outside of the classes when it comes to these various mask rules? Um, Jeff, the kids are lucky they weren't holding a Dr. Seuss book or a Mr. Potato Head. Not shocked, though. Um, just like you're saying, nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 a.m. I don't think there's anything good that happens in California. Well, there might be some good things that happen in California, but clearly it's a re- overreaction. Jeff, the school is being ridiculous. It was on their own time. And they were outside. Yes, Jeff, the mask rule, I think, is a joke to begin with. And these schools in California should have a heck more to worry about than things like this. Well, that would be the other question that comes to mind, which is given all the different issues that are out there, this is what you're going to suspend kids for? Because on their own time in an outside setting, they pose for photographs. And and here's the, the other reality of this. And this is where you get into the virtue signaling about the whole mask debate. All right. Look, it, those kids could have gone over to one of the, the backyards, for example, of one of the parents. Hey, we're going to have a party for the seniors. And they could have been in the backyard and they could have been outside. They could have been interacting at a barbecue, not wearing masks, et cetera, et cetera. That's arguably more dangerous than what they ended up doing sitting next to each other on on a bench for the purpose of posing for the photographs. But this is what the school 
tries to um, implement. Jeff, the school could have used this, if you can believe it, as an actual teaching moment. They could have used this to teach the students and explain why this was a bad decision instead of going off the deep end and suspending the team. That's Greg from Waukesha. I, I, exactly. The the idea of, oh my gosh, and plus, like nobody complained. It wasn't until one of the parents, again, posts this thing on social media and somebody sees it and then they report it. That's when all this, um, all these gears start to turn and, oh, we've got to do this sort of stuff um, that, that interacts. And again, it's a small group that were involved in this. Um, so that's where you have the issues that are out there. And you just kind of wonder about, you know, what, what are the standards here and what are the rules and how far do the schools go? In this particular case, another example of just, I think, this out of control virtue signaling that's there that fails to understand what the significant issues of the day are. Not unlike the San Francisco school board that until they had to back down on this, were concerned with changing the names of all the schools to remove George Washington and Abraham Lincoln and Francis Scott Key and James Madison from the name of the schools. At the same time, they don't they don't have the kids in for in-person lessons. I mean, you want to talk about missing the forest for the trees. It just keeps getting worse and worse for New York Governor Andrew Cuomo. Now, about a year, and it really just shows how the political tides can turn. About a year ago, Andrew Cuomo, who has always had a reputation, even New York in New York State, as being, well, let's see, there's different words that are floating through my mind, but he's, he's always had a reputation as being a jerk. I mean, you, you could say he's had a reputation as being difficult, but that, that, that's always been what, what his reputation was. He's kind of, kind of a jerk, an arrogant sort of jerk. And it's, but I mean, he comes from, you know, his dad was the governor of New York and all that. So he, he became sort of a national celebrity last March. Because at the same time, you had all these people in the mainstream media who just could not stand Donald Trump and were looking for ways to criticize Donald Trump. Well, Donald Trump's not empathetic enough. Donald Trump is mishandling the whole COVID pandemic. You know, Andrew Cuomo was sort of elevated in the media as, okay, he's the anti-Trump guy. He's doing everything right. And and here we're going to make him this national celebrity. And maybe Andrew Cuomo is going to get elected president. And I, I know that there's a lot of people who know a lot about, like, the inside baseball who were raising their eyebrows at that saying now they just don't know Andrew Cuomo so now what are we finding out first of all we're finding out that you know for all the supposed empathy that was there Andrew Cuomo was invest was engaged in policies and then in cover-ups to policies that um, candidly were designed to try to prevent people from finding how badly he mishandled COVID by ordering for example, that nursing homes, you know, accept people who had COVID, which turned out to be just a disastrous sort of policy. This idea that, okay, let's take a, a closed situation, a closed setting where people are really vulnerable, and let's put a bunch of people that have COVID in it. What do you think is going to happen? And then the cover up being that the, the New York officials pretty clearly, knowingly and intentionally misrepresented the number of people who died as a result of the Cuomo policy. What they did is they reported the number of people who died in nursing homes. But if you got COVID in a nursing home and you went to the hospital and you died as a result of that, they didn't report that. So it doesn't matter where you caught it. We're just looking at the final location. And I think everybody recognizes that was pretty much of a fraud. The other thing that is now coming out is that, you know, Andrew Cuomo for years has been sort of a serial abuser when it comes to females on his staff. And it started trickling out. And what often happens in these cases, you have one or two women that come forward initially, and then there ends up being a a floodgate of of reports. That's one of the reasons I've always said when you try to judge some of the, the, especially the old claims that are made against public figures, where even in the Me Too world, I've always, my question's always been, okay, is there a pattern and a practice? Is this 
one person, one woman who's come forward and said, hey, 40 years ago, this guy did this to me, versus is there an ongoing pattern? And I'm not saying that the person who said this happened one time 40 years ago is necessarily lying, but I am saying if you look at the question of believability, if you have a pattern practice and a bunch of women coming up and saying, yeah, he did this to me, he did that to me, well, now these floodgates are, are starting to open up, and it's I think it's very, very clear that, well, the headline in the Washington Post is Cuomo's behavior created hostile, toxic workplace culture for decades. Um, former aides say a former press aide of Andrew Cuomo says he summoned her to his dimly lit hotel room, embraced her after a work event in 2000 when he led the U.S. Department of Housing and Urban Development. And she was a consultant um, Two male aides who worked for Cuomo say he routinely berated them with explicit language, making comments such as calling them. Well, I can't say that word on the radio and saying that they have no testicles, um, although that's not exactly what he said. Three women who worked for the governor's office as young staffers in recent year said he quizzed them about their dating lives and asked things like, do you sleep with older men? You know, It's kind of like you, you look at all this and I bring this up because Cuomo says he won't resign. I don't know that they're going to force him out, but but his politically he's done whether he quits before 2022 or not he, he's done for all practical matters but the interesting thing it shows how stars could rise and stars can fall a year ago they were talking about andrew cuomo as being perhaps presidential timber now well i don't know i don't know what he's going to do once he leaves the governor's mansion but it's not going to be on the road to washington back with more in just a couple of minutes hey when we come back is it the return of the welfare state i'll explain we'll discuss live from the annex wealth management studios at historic radio city this is the jeff wagner show and now wtmj's jeff wagner good afternoon wisconsin welcome back to the show look let's be honest what, what, what is about to be passed by the House of Representatives and signed by President Biden sometime this week, it is not a COVID relief bill. What it is is a massive government giveaway to people in an effort to, I think, buy votes and return us to the welfare state. Right, so here's the bottom line. If you haven't been following what's going on, um, Congress is about to, that the Senate made some changes, but what's going to happen is... Um, People are going to get an extra $1,400 payment. Um, that uh, starts to phase away with individuals earning up to $75,000. Um, couples with an income of $150,000 less are going to get $2,800. Now, let me just stop there for a second. It's not dependent on whether you were impacted by COVID. It All they do is they look at your adjusted gross income on your tax returns. So let's say you have, you know, you and your spouse work. You know, you make 80 grand. He or she makes 60 grand. You made 140 grand over the course of the last year. Um, you haven't been impacted by COVID. You've worked through this whole thing or you've been on the payroll. You're going to get this money. You are going to get $2,800. Well, it gets better. In addition to the $2,800, you're going to get $1,400 per dependent, including kids in college. This follows, this is on top of the $1,200 and the $500 um, per dependent in the CARES Act last year and $600 that people got in December. In total, for most people who qualify for this, a family of four will have gotten over $11,400 in direct payments, all right? Indirect payments, regardless of whether you have been impacted by COVID or not. All right, well, here's where moving forward it gets better because we've also decided that households will get a fully refundable $3,600 tax credit for each child under the age of six 
and a $3,000 credit for those up to seven, age 17. What's more importantly is that instead of having to wait till the end of the year where you file your, your taxes to get the credit, what's going to happen is they're going to send you the money on a monthly basis. This costs $100 billion. So here's the deal. If you qualify for this, regardless of whether you've been impacted by COVID or not, you're going to get $300 per month for kids under the age of five, $250 for kids over the age of five. So just to give you an example, that means let's take a single non-working mother. She's going to get $10,800 from the federal government in addition to food stamps, which has been increased, in addition to Medicaid and all that. It's the return of the welfare state under the idea of, well, we need to help people out with COVID. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Right, the cost of the overall program is $1.9 trillion. This one-year payment, the, the welfare state here, we're just going to send people checks for the kids they have, that costs $100 billion. But the Democrats are hoping that this will become a, a permanent thing. Now, for years and years, in the 70s and 80s and 90s, we tried to get away from the welfare state. The idea was, hey, we just we want to create incentives for people to work. We have now gone back the other way where they're saying, hey, we don't care whether you work or not. We don't care how you spend the money. You've got kids. We're just going to send you dough. Doesn't matter if you've been affected by COVID. Just doesn't matter. We're going to send you money. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you want to understand why I always say that elections matter, this is the classic example of that. If the Republicans hadn't lost those two Senate seats in Georgia, we would not be having this conversation. Yes, there would be a true COVID relief bill, but it would be tied to the people who are suffering because of COVID, not this idea of just, again, recreating the entitlement state. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I, I look at this stuff. And I say, how do people think we're going to end up paying for this? And who is ultimately going to pay for it? And is it really a good policy, for example, simply to reward people for having children and pay people who actually, I mean, again, I think you can make the strong argument that, you know, if you're a family of, I don't know, a family of four and mom and dad are working and mom and dad have an adjusted gross income north of $100,000, is it really the taxpayer's responsibility to send you thousands, to send them thousands of dollars a year to support their kids? 855-616-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text Line. My answer would be, I mean, are we really moving towards this entire, are we bringing back the welfare state? And is that really where we want to go. It's certainly the direction we're on. We discuss in a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. The welfare state is back. Uh, here's some text before we go to the calls. Our numbers, by the way, 855-616-1620. No, no, no. I'm sick of working to support others. My income is my income. I've worked hard to earn it. Hands off my cash. Um, Jeff, rich people take advantage of tax loopholes all the time and do not work harder than a single mom with three jobs. Universal income is the new normal and actually makes people want to take risks and better themselves with new ventures. No, no, it doesn't. Universal income encourages people. And this is the lesson that we learned with the out-of-control welfare state. If you give people money for doing nothing, they're going to do nothing. It's like you see with the continuation of unemployment benefits. Remember back in 2007, 2008, 2009, when we had the Great Recession, and, and what we did is we kept extending and extending unemployment benefits. Well, what happened is you had a lot of people out there who, again, don't, if, if you're in a job that you view as kind of a dead-end job or you don't like going to work, and you can make as much or more, or almost as much by sitting on your butt and watching TV as you can by going to work. What is the incentive to go to work? And so what we saw was, again, 10 years ago when that was going on, once the 
once the economy had started to rebound, there were plenty of jobs out there, but you had people who didn't want to come and who didn't want to look to find the work because they made almost as money not having to go to work. And I understand it. I get it. It makes perfect sense to me. But is that really the kind of environment that you want to create where, here, we're going to guarantee everybody money, and we're also going to base it on how many children you have. The more kids you have, the more money we're going to give you. Let's talk to Lamar in Orlando. Hi, Lamar. Lamar. Uh, real quick, real quick. Can you hear me, Jeff? I can. Go ahead. Okay. Uh, really quick. Uh, so um, I don't see what – so basically we're going to be – we're prepaying the child tax credit. Is that my understanding? Well, you're tripling it. You're not pre, you're, you're pre, you are prepaying it, but you're also increasing it dramatically. Because of COVID. Well, well I, that, that's the excuse that's being given, but they want to make it permanent. For one year – one year, it's substantially increasing, but the Democrats want to make this permanent, right? The, the, the justification is so because want, of COVID. Right, but I don't I, – honestly, I don't see the issue because we're getting money into the hands of the people that need it, right? And the reason I make that point is because we, it, the, the, we spend – like for the fighter jet program, we spent all that money and nobody batted an eye, but we're getting money into the hands of folks that are going to use it that will help the economy. But we're complaining about but, but where it. But where, do, where does that money come from? Where where does the money come but from? I, listen, I get that argument about where the money comes from. Right, but my, there's, there's my no, whole issue has always been, why don't we make this complaint when we're spending it on, like, Pointless military spending. Well, I mean, I guess... And the, I say pointless because I, I think about that fighter jet program. Well, okay, Lamar, I mean, I guess you can... If you want to have a discussion about where, you know, do, do we spend too much money on foreign aid? Do we spend too much money on airplanes? Does the government waste money on trying to build a border wall? I, I'm open to doing that. But there's not a money tree that is in the backyard that people go out and, and shake. And the bottom line is people have to pay for it sooner or later. Now, maybe it's going to be your kids that have to pay for it. Maybe it's going to be your grandkids. But the bottom line is we just don't have these giant printing presses that you can just keep printing money. People are going to have to pay for that. And as far as the idea of you're putting money into the economy, well, well, yes and no, you're taking it from some people and you're giving it to others. My larger point, though, with regard to this is the whole notion that we're talking about income redistribution here and this idea that we are now going to reward people for not working. We tried that in the 60s. We tried it in the 70s. We tried it in the 80s. And we've moved away from that. We've recognized that what you want to do is you want to incentivize people going back to work, not here whether you want to call it universal income. And I think you're right. That's that's what this is kind of a step towards, the whole notion of universal income. We're going to redistribute wealth, taking it from one group of people, and we're going to give it to the other group of people. And we're going to say you don't have to work for it. Here, we're going to guarantee you all this stuff. And, and maybe maybe that makes you feel good. But ultimately, you end up with a society where you don't have people working. You don't have people producing. You have some that are and some that aren't. And what's really frustrating to me is that you're doing it in the name of COVID relief. This has nothing to do with COVID. It's if, if it had something to do with COVID, what you'd be tying it into is people who are impacted by COVID. Just look at the stimulus payments. Again, the stimulus payments aren't tied to people who have been impacted by COVID. They're tied to whether or not you've got an adjusted gross income of less than $150,000 for a, a married couple. You could have had your job. You could have worked through all this, and you're still getting it. It has nothing to do at all with COVID. This is a giant chance to... I think for one, a better phrase, sort of reverse where we've been going in this country for the last 30 years, going back to the welfare state. And I don't think that's a good idea. Back with more in just a minute. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Doesn't that Kate sound like a nice person? I just, you know, I, I don't think we've ever met in person, but we've talked on the phone and stuff. But she was just a real... She's just a real sweetheart and stuff. Go to the home market. Check it out. They're our featured sponsor this week on our uh, on our home improvement showcase presented by Great Midwest Bank. The smell of fresh cut grass and the crack of a bat. Yes, Milwaukee Brewers baseball is back. Join Matt Pauley on Wednesday at 6 o'clock to get your first good look at the 2021 Brewers. Hear from Craig Council, Colton Wong, Keston Hira, David Stearns, and many more. It's our Brewers spring training special this Wednesday, 6 o'clock, 
only on WTMJ. So, Group, producing the show today and always, you are a baseball fan as I am. Are you optimistic about the team this year? I feel uh, cautiously optimistic. I don't know how first base is going to work out. I'm not really sure about third base. Um, Yeah, I mean, I I think Keston Hero at first base makes sense as as the easy fix. But we'll see. I, you know, and, and again, maybe this is looking at it through rose-colored glasses, but actually I feel a lot better about the team now than I would have a, a couple months ago. Um, they've just announced that they finalized the signing of Jackie Bradley, who's a former all-star center fielder. Now that, that gives them f- you know, four outfielders, and you kind of wonder where these guys play, but you can never have enough good players, and Jackie Bradley is a good addition to that. Uh, I've Colton Wong, the second baseman that they got from uh, St. Louis, he just wore out the Brewers, just wore them out. And, I mean, he's definitely an upgrade at second base. I've, I've said this before, Travis Shaw, who just com- two couple years ago just completely lost his ability to play baseball, couldn't hit at all, but, you know, he kind of resurrected his career a little bit last year. He's back, and we had, when we were doing the opening day shows from the dugouts, I've said this before, I had a chance to interview him two years in a row. He seems to me to be a really nice guy, and I, I hope... I'm really rooting for him, in, in part because the Brewers need somebody that can hit and play third base. But I, and in the catching situation, I was reading something about how they're, as far as depth goes, they're as, as deep as anybody in the in baseball with the catching position. Oh, and pitchers are pretty good. I'm, I am, I am, I like your phrase. I am cautiously optimistic about this. Um, the, you know, the team to beat is going to be the, the Cardinals as they always are. But I, you know, I, I think they're going to be in the mix moving forward. I think it's going to be a good Good year. No question about that. At least I hope it is. Hey, the other big news going on today is out of Minneapolis. The the police officer who has been who was responsible, or at least allegedly responsible directly for the death of George Floyd. He he's his trial starts this week. There were some motions to delay it, but I don't think that's going to ultimately go anywhere. And they're going to be picking, it's going to be jury selection. What happened was there were three other officers that were on the scene. Their trial was what they call severed, which means that the trial of those three officers was split from the trial of the principal defendant, and they're, they're going to be tried sometime in August. All sorts of people are watching this. Um, there's already been already been protests and things of, of the like in advance of the, the trial even starting. This is a situation, you know, sometimes you look at these cases and you say, boy, I, I tell you, it's going to be a tough prosecution case. You never exactly know what juries are going to do with things. But this is a situation where if the prosecution presents the case correctly, if the prosecution keeps its eye on the ball and does not get distracted, I think this is one where a, a conviction on on some, if not all of the counts, but most of the major counts, I, I think that that's probably pretty likely. Interestingly, I think that also increases um, increases the likelihood of that by severing out the, the trial of the other defendants. These other police officers are on the scene. I think they've got legitimate defenses. I'm taking no position on you know what ultimately a jury is going to do, but it's going to be a much diff- more difficult case for the people who weren't actually the ones that were physically involved and putting their you know knee on the back of the guy's neck and things like that. It's going to be a much different trial in August with these other three police officers. But the the principal defendant, I think, if the prosecution again is able to get its evidence in, doesn't overplay its hand. I, I think if I were a betting man, and I guess I am, I, I think this is one where you're likely to see convictions on some or all of the counts. Whether that's going to satisfy some of the people who continue to be upset and the protesters, I, I, I don't know how that's going to all play out. But that is certainly, if not the trial of the century, for Minnesota, it's the trial of the decade, and it kicks off today. We'll be offering commentary on it as the trial moves on. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Now, this is a feel-good story about a, a local company that has made good. It's actually a product that I use, um, at least I, I use for my dog. Uh, pet food maker Stella and Chewy's will expand its Oak Creek headquarters, $67.7 million project. See, this is a great story, and this is one of the things I, I love. I love about... America. 
because it, it does show that people with an idea and some ambition and are willing to take some risk, it, it shows that they can, in fact, succeed. And it kind of sort of goes back to what we were talking about, about the welfare state. And you, you don't really – do we really want to live in a world where the government is just doling out people money to people and hand out this and hand out that? See, here's the deal. Um this, the company's founder, her name is Marie Moody, and she launched this business, Stella and Chewy's, in 2003 in her apartment in Manhattan. Um, she had rescued a sick dog, Chewy, from an animal shelter. On a veterinarian's advice, she began feeding the dog various raw meat, fruit, and vegetables. She nursed the dog back to health, and that led her to start selling her natural pet food to local stores. She moved the company to her hometown in Muskego and in 2006, and then relocated in 2011 to a bigger building, building on Milwaukee South Side. And then the, the business took off, and in 2015, they moved it to um, the Oak Creek Business Park. And apparently, it, it's just going great guns. Um, they anticipate that um, what they're going to do is they're going to probably, you know, add maybe another couple hundred workers as a result of this. They said they expect to hire 245 employees. And the best part of it is it's just a great product. We, um, this is one of the things that uh, actually it's, it's Sasha's favorite. There's there's a couple different dog foods that we rotate in and out. But whenever we have Stella and Chewy, she just gobbles that stuff up. And it's a, it's a local company. It's a great story, and you just love to hear it, and you love to see the entrepreneurs, these people who come up with this idea and are willing to invest some of their sweat equity and money, and and they're able to just to, to hit it big. And it's a great product, and I'm glad to see that they are developing. Okay, here's the deal. As more and more people get vaccinated, the uh, obviously we get closer to herd immunity, as we were talking about in the last hour of the program, and we get closer to, to getting back to normal. Here is the issue. Should your employer be able to force you to become vaccinated? The reason I say this is probably as a general rule, the, the answer is yes. Your employer could force you to get a COVID vaccination. It's sort of along the lines of, you know, with healthcare workers, you know, we've discussed this in different capacities. You know, healthcare, for example, nursing homes or, you know, healthcare workers, they've been told all along, you've got to get the flu shot. You, you just have no choice. And the thinking is, first of all, we don't want people getting the flu and coming in and infecting, for example, patients in the hospital who are there and might be particularly vulnerable. So the idea is, if you want to work here, you, you've got to get the shot. And that's been the policy at lots of local healthcare facilities. As a general rule, even if employers have the right to require that, in many cases, they haven't in the past. COVID is a completely different animal because as more and more employers want to get people back into the workforce and until people actually you get that kind of mass immunity that's there, the question is, okay, if, if we bring you know, people back to the workforce and 50% of our workforce has been vaccinated, but 50% hasn't. Well, you know, are, are we going to lose that 50%? Are they going to get sick somewhere else, etc.? So the question is, do you vaccinate people? Under the law, the answer is employers, even if they choose not to force people to do it, they probably have the legal right to do it. So I'm looking at this big story in the Washington Post. In a number of states, Legislators are introducing bills which would limit or prevent an employer's ability to require a coronavirus vaccine for their staff. And in some cases, these bills go even further and would prohibit an employer from being able to require any vaccine. All right, let's tee this up. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Should the government prevent an employer from requiring somebody to get a vaccine as a condition of working. 855-616-1620. My take is I think employers have the right to do it. And I think employees always have that choice. If your employer requires you to do it because, I don't know, they've got valid concerns about this, you you can do it or you cannot do it. But at, and, and if you decide not to do it, well, then you can always find yourself another job. 855-616-1620. I am not encouraging employers to do it because I think it's invasive, but I think they have the right to do it. 
understanding that it might cost them some good employees. Do you want the government coming in and saying, nope, we're going to pass laws that stop this? My answer would be no. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. Jeff, if they force me to get a vaccination, I'll roll my toolbox to the next shop. Absolutely not. If they force me to and I say no and ask why, I'd say, well, isn't that a HIPAA violation? Well, again, and see, that's, that's your right. And that's why I think a lot of employers are going to encourage people to get the vaccinations but aren't going to force them to do it because they understand that they're going to lose workers if if they do it and I, I get that and I'm not encouraged I'm not saying that I think employers should make it mandatory but the question is should the government tell employers that they don't have a right to do this and that's where I I have an issue because I think the employers have a right in saying look we want this healthy workplace that's here and and yes we want you to get vaccinated because we don't want 50 percent of the workforce to come in and suddenly we have to shut down because everybody's got COVID or at least among that 50 percent uh, let's start with Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi there. Hi, Mike. Yeah, I think they, I think they definitely should be allowed to enforce that and require people to get the vaccination. It's mm-hmm. their business, their company. They're the ones who would lose if there's an outbreak. That's their choice. Right. I'm sure at WTMJ they have told you you can't drink while you're on the air. Okay, that's their rule, and they have every right to do that. And if you don't like it, go somewhere else. Right, yeah, fine. Everybody's so worried. Everybody's so worried about, you know, what what people should say or can't say or do or what can't do. Let's just go back to the common sense. If you're vaccinated, it's going to make it better for everybody around you, and it's no harm. Yeah, and I see, and I think so. I mean, see, I, I, I agree with you. And this isn't a do, do I think people should get vaccinated or not? I, I clearly I do, unless you've got a medical reason for that. And I think employers, again, have the right to do it. I mean, I, I, the, I mean, the most compelling example of this is if you do, you look at the healthcare industry. And that's where this whole thing starts to come from. It's the idea that, hey, you're, you're working in a hospital, you've got a nurse that is going to be interacting with patients who are coming into the hospital and he or she the nurse you know if if they're a carrier of covid last thing you want is somebody to come into the hospital for i don't know a heart a a pacemaker and end up going out with covid because the you know the the nurse was was a carrier and ended up giving it to, to him so that that's why i think in the hospital situation it makes sense now the further you get removed from that the more difficult it it is to, I I think, draw that line between, well, clearly, you know, if the nurse in that situation has this and you get a patient sick, it's a bad thing. It's a little bit different, you know, when you're in a business setting where the people you're talking about getting sick are your unvaccinated coworkers or maybe members of the general public that are in. And that's where the school, the, there's the balancing act that I think has to go on between, again, the business and the needs of the business and the needs of the employee. But I think the employer should have a right to do it. And I think you as the employee have the right to say, um, no, I, I'm not going to do it. Jeff, if schools can require vaccinations to be able to attend classes, why shouldn't businesses be able to do it? Yeah, I, I think that there's a lot of that thinking that goes on. Jeff, I don't think people should be forced to take the COVID vaccine. However, I believe it would be wise to take it. The exception would be teachers. They should be forced to take it. Um, so they have to go back and they have to go to school. Well, that again, that's see, that's it. I do think you have to have a policy that's there. And and if the policy is, all right, we, we want to have teachers, for example, vaccinated because we think that that's what's necessary for safety in the schools, well, then the policy has to be you got to get the vaccinations. And if you don't have a valid medical excuse for it, well, then, okay, maybe you need to find another school district that doesn't have that particular policy. But the bottom line of this is I think employers have the right to do that. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner, Brewers Baseball, coming up in less than 10 minutes. This is Jeff Wagner. So delighted to have you with us. We, we didn't open up the phone lines for this topic because we, we, we've discussed it in various fashions. But the other day, in response to the controversy involving Dr. Seuss and the cancel culture, there was a piece, an opinion piece in the New York Times, one of their opinion columnists saying, hey, we can't stop at Dr. Seuss. We, we need to go farther. And I, I'm looking at the story now. For example, he identifies, you know, Westerns. 
Now, think about all the, the John Wayne Westerns and things like that, or some of the Clint Eastwood Westerns, the early on ones. Now, what, you know, what is one of the characteristics of the Westerns? Well, it, it's the old cowboy and, and Indian narrative, and the columnist here talks about how, you know, these Westerns regularly depicted Native Americans as aggressive, bloodthirsty savages against whom valiant white men were forced to fight. So... Do we have to cancel all the Westerns? Then the columnist goes on to talk about some of the other cartoons that were out there. And a couple that they identify is Pepe Le Pew. Remember Pepe Le Pew? Pepe Le Pew was the, um, was the skunk. And the way the columnist, for example, describes this cartoon is um, Pepe Le Pew, uh, a character who normalized the rape culture. Remember, Pepe Le Pew was the, the skunk who would go up and he would, you know, grab um, female animals and he'd press his lips to them and then they'd run and they'd try to escape. Well, that's that's normalizing the rape culture. Then Speedy Gonzalez. Remember Speedy Gonzalez? Speedy Gonzalez was the, well, at least the way it's described it, um, Speedy Gonzalez whose friends helped popularize the corrosive stereotype of the drunken, lethargic Mexicans. I always thought Speedy Gonzalez was kind of a hero of these sort of cartoons because he always was the one that came out on top. But, I mean, it's theoretically, it's a stereotype. You know, he's wearing the sombrero and things like that. The columnist goes on talking about how, you know, children's shows like Tarzan. You know, Tarzan, a half-naked white man in the middle of an African jungle who conquers and tames it and outwits the black people there who are all portrayed as primitive, if not savage, I quote-unquote. So it's Tarzan. It's Speedy Gonzalez. It's Pepe Le Pew. It's Westerns. This is, when I talk about the cancel culture and the culture wars, I, I, I don't know where this... This ends because, on the one hand, you understand it. Yeah, you you watch some of these old John Wayne Westerns, and the cowboys are the good guys, and the Indians are the bad guys, and there is this sort of stereotypical portrayal that's out there. So what does that mean? Does it mean that we, we take all those movies off of television? Does it mean we no longer stream those movies? Does it mean we cancel John Wayne because of all that? Does it mean we cancel all the other Westerns? What about these cartoons? And, and this is just probably really the tip of the iceberg. My guess is if you spent any amount of time thinking about it, you could come up with yourself a number of cartoon characters that play into, you know, various stereotypes that you could say, oh, this is this should be offensive and this is offensive. And yeah, I, I guess I'd never really thought of the cartoon skunk as portraying and embodying the rape culture. <laughs> that never really occurred to me. But I, I guess I you I understand it when you think about all this stuff and you think about stuff that might be acceptable by twenty twenty one standards versus when the cartoons came out in the fifties and the sixties and seventies. But really the the issue is how far do we end up going with this? And I mean I had a caller last week who said, Well I I think we need to start just going book by book and taking books out of the library and getting rid of them if they've got uh, things that people would find offensive in them. And I, I don't know. I, I think there's a lot of people would say, yeah, that, that's exactly what we should be doing. That's where we, we want to go. So does that now apply to the cartoons? Does it apply to Westerns? So it's going to be books. It's going to be cartoons. It's going to be Westerns. Is it going to be popular music where we start going through and looking at language and some of the songs that are out there and start canceling that as well? I ask this question because if that's what we're going to be doing, by the end, we're not going to have too much left, I don't think. But... Time will tell. All right, I am out of time. Early Brewers game tomorrow. Uh, Early Brewers game coming up in just a couple seconds. Full show tomorrow. Lots of stuff on the agenda. Go Brewers. Have a great Monday. This is Jeff Wagner, WTMJ.